I spoke two weeks ago. First of all, it's already been brought to my attention. I'd like to say I spoke without a tie two weeks ago. So I didn't just wear a tie today for that. Okay. Two. Um, maybe it was, yeah, well, I guess it was, regardless, when I spoke, I think it was that night my daughter fell and broke her wrist. The following Saturday, my middle daughter got a concussion. And the following Friday, I got rear-ended and totaled my car. It's not for a pity party. It's for really this. It kind of goes along with the message. Um, I spoke two weeks ago on just making sure our eyes were kind of in the right place that we have found this great, unbelievable treasure, we can get distracted. And, uh, you know, for two weeks, I, I probably didn't listen to my own message at all. Um, you know, there's, there's a sense sometimes when you go through just craziness that you just want normalcy. Like, it's nice when people call and say, hey, you know, how's it going? Uh, I appreciate it. Some of you did that. Um, you know, what are you going to do with the car? Um, how's Autumn? How's Kamala? And then I got to be honest, there's just times where you just want a normal conversation. You, you just want to talk to someone and, and, and they're talking about how great their lawn looks after it's cut. Or, you know, hey, I just painted the living room and it's a great light yellow. I don't know. I feel like in these times I'm really um, missing just normal conversations. Like I'm actually interested in what you had for dinner two nights ago. Um, things like that. And so the reason I say all that is I realized uh, how much I miss normal conversations with my God. Uh, and I don't know if you can relate to that, but a lot of my prayers lately have been, you know, about just a lot of different things that seem to be just hitting me, uh, you know, left and right. And I really was trying to, again, refocus on, I, I just need a normal conversation with God. I just want to talk about who He is, and I just want a, a normalcy to remember the times where me and Him just used to talk about life without it kind of being like a high crisis conversation every single time. And so the Psalms have been encouraging me. And uh, it's actually a psalm here in 144 about going to war. It's about going to battle. And so that's why verse 2 is kind of interesting to me. Of we're in the middle of a psalm about um, a battle starting to happen. He's going to do nothing but talk about who his God is. And how does that relate? So let's read in Psalms 144. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Let's pray. We thank you again for being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thank you that you are highly exalted regardless of what humans think. Your Father has given you the position, the highest one in all the kingdom. He has put all things under your feet. 
He has given you a name above all names. He has said every knee will bow to you. Regardless of what we think, you are highly exalted. And we are glad to know you. We are glad that you are our God. We would simply want to honor you and give you glory this morning that we would be found worthy of the calling, that we wouldn't dishonor the family name, that we would make you look good. Thank you so much for doing all the work. In your name, amen. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. As I said, David, he was a warrior. He knew a lot about this stuff. And he's talking about a war coming. And he's thanking the Lord, giving him credit for the one who has trained him. And then it says, my hands for war, my fingers for battle. I think the text speaks of this. War and using your hands is kind of a general term. It's a long process. One could say it's a lifestyle. That God has trained us on how to do life down here on earth overall. And as Dwight and I talked about last week, there's a part of us that should have an eternal perspective. Just the out flow of our lives should have weight in heaven and that there's a war going on we know that Christ is the victor but he's the one that trains our hands that we might be able to defend and fight in this life but the next part is my fingers for battle war is made up of many battles it's not just one battle and the war is over It's numerous battles. And when you start thinking of fingers, it gets more detailed. So that God is in control and training us how to do life overall. And the same God who does that has also got very detailed in saying, I know how to handle and train you in every specific battle you go through. Every single time there's a fight. I can teach you and train you how to react appropriately, how to protect yourself, and how to have victory. And sadly, we as Christians don't trust them sometimes. And even though we've, quote, won the war, we lose battles. But he is not just worried about the overall, like, hey, I'm not going to worry about you down there on earth. You're coming to heaven one day. Overall, it pretty much worked out for you. He's actually concerned about the daily battles that we all face, and training us for victory in those. So the psalmist here is going from, you're training my hands for war to, my loving kindness and my fortress. This is what I meant by normalcy of conversation. He had the type of mind that he went from, thank you for training me to this battle to, I just want to talk about who you are to me. Before we get going on to the battle, I just need you to know, as the one who has trained me, who you are to me. And I have forgotten that again lately. Who is God to me? Not exactly how to train me, but who is He 
to me personally. The very first thing he says is my loving kindness. Not you are merciful, not that you are lovely. He makes it personal. He goes, you are my kindness. Young's literal translation would say this. You are my kind one. Wouldn't that be weird to you? As you're talking about battle, why do you start talking about love? Well, in fact, typically you fight for the things you love for. The reason people go to war is typically there's a calling, something that they love, something they want to uphold, or they fight for their loved ones. David wants to make it very clear. If I go to battle, I want to let you know I love you. And I'm so glad you love me. And it's our love for one another of why I want to go to war to begin with. My kind one. You know, there's a lot of ways this word can be, uh, you know, translated as merciful, like I said, or loving kindness. There's something about God that there is his love for us, and yet all these other pieces that try to describe it, he's also very kind to us. There was a story of a lady called Mammy Adams who always went to a branch in her post office in her town because the postal employees were so friendly. She went there to buy stamps just before Christmas one year, and the lines were particularly long. Someone pointed out to her, there's no need to wait in line. There's a stamp machine in the, in the lobby. I know, said Mammy, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. And how true it is that God just doesn't sit there and kind of blanket us with an in general, I love you, but actually wants details about how you're doing. He always has been and always will be a personal God. And I would like to challenge this again. If we are to be Christ-like, how good are you doing at the difference between loving in general and loving specifically? Sometimes it's easier to love the saints corporately when a need comes up to give or to volunteer, to love someone specifically is a lot harder. To make a phone call, to sit on the phone and listen, to try to invest in someone's life, and to do it all with kindness. But that's what our God does for us. He next calls him my fortress. A fortress is like a castle. It's basically your place of refuge. So that if you are out of bound in the country and the enemy is coming, where do you flee? You flee to the fortified building. You flee to the castle. Because in the castle you feel protected. In the castle you can have rest. 
you take refuge. Over 40 times in the Psalms, we are told that either God is our refuge or to take refuge in Him. And David wanted to be clear. God, you're the one. You're the one that I can go to, and when I'm with you, I'm protected. I can take refuge. Charles Wesley, shortly after he got saved in 1738, was sitting one summer day in his study. A little bird pursued by a hawk flew in through the open window and actually sought refuge in his chest where the baffled hawk dare not follow. This moment led him to write the hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul. The first verse says this, O lovely man, none can with thee compare, my hiding place from every wind that blows. In thee my heart is freed from anxious care. I know thy love to me unceasing flows. It's the place you run to before the storm hits. Remember a couple weeks ago we had the tornado warning. And in my house, I kind of teased my wife. Said, hey, I think the tornado's coming. I said, yeah, I really don't care. And then the phone went and the beep, the emergency, you know, public, hey, tornado warning, find a safe spot. To which my wife said we should all go to the basement. To which I said, I don't care. But we actually ended up going into the basement. Why? Because the basement is a safe place. If you wait until the tornado's in your yard and then try to make it to the basement, you're a little too late. It's the place you go before the storm to find refuge, to find protection, knowing that the storm's coming, but you're secure. This is the idea of what David was saying. You are my refuge. But how do I specifically take refuge? In Psalm 36, verse 7 and 8, it says this. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that takes refuge in him. Taking refuge in God means seeking and finding your joy in the Lord. And so again, if I can try to make this uh, make sense on a practical level, Again, I'm trying to tell you how I've failed. I might think God is my refuge, but more for a place of, I just don't want to get hit from that stuff. Not a place of joy and peace. There's a difference. There's a difference between saying, yeah, God, I trust that you can kind of protect me from this, but I still ain't got no joy and peace, but I understand you can take care of it. To running to a place where not only am I getting out of this storm, it's my place of joy and peace. It's the place I feel comfortable. 
And so that's when, when I read my Bible this week, instead of reading it just to solve answers to what's going on, I really just want to read and find out who he is. And I've tried to talk about this. I've tried to preach it to myself. It seems like it's going to be a lifelong lesson. To have the faith that when you just find out about God's wisdom, suddenly it makes all the anxiety go away. When you just pursue how lovely He is and how kind He is, suddenly you feel secure. That when you read certain verses, they might not have anything to do with the situation that you're going through. But you learn of God and somehow it makes sense. Somehow just getting to know Him brings peace. And it takes faith. It takes faith to pause in the middle of the day and just say, I just want to talk about me and you. I got a lot of stuff on my plate. I got a lot of stuff going on. I just need to take a pause and just go to my refuge and just have a good time with you. And somehow it seems harder to do that. So I want to remind us to take time to go to your refuge for joy and peace. Next, he calls him a high tower. A high tower has to do with being on the defense. Every castle would have lookout towers. Why? So that suddenly you don't have thousands of soldiers sitting at the gate. They would be able to see them from afar off so that they could prepare and not kind of be shocked at the idea that suddenly we have to go into battle. And so David here is saying, You are my high tower. Lord, you are looking out for me. You know the enemy. You can see him from afar. Christians should not be shocked. We should not be shocked when the world goes certain ways. The Bible has said they will always go that way. We should not be shocked at the enemy's plan. What he has tried to do. I would like to say that we need some discernment here. And not just because of the times of these last couple months, but Satan has always been in the business of having a plan for ultimate death and destruction. That's what he's about. What is the hope? Jesus Christ. And the way he uses that hope is typically through the church. We're the light. We're the beacon of hope on earth. That when Satan is in control and the whole world's simply going crazy, they can at least look at the believers and say, wait a minute, there seems to be a glimpse of hope. Those people are different. And so where do you think Satan attacks? The church. If he can break us down, he don't have to worry about the world. They're going to simply go awkward and wayward on their own. But if he can get to us, it would seem like the light gets dimmer. Jesus Christ talked over and over that we would be like-minded 
and unified in the Lord and in Him. It's not rocket science to see that Satan would like to destroy that and break people up and let the church separate. Let us all be individuals and do nothing corporately and do nothing collectively. He's a strong tower. He's telling you what it looks like. He's saying, church, be unified. Be like-minded in purpose. Love one another. Share the gospel. It also gives you an advantage because you have the high ground. The enemy has to go up high when you have the high ground. He has to climb the mountain, so to speak. He has to make it to the tower, so to speak. It's just kind of a military strategy. If you have the high ground, it's a lot harder for the enemy to win. You understand we have the advantage. God has placed us in the best position to win our battles. When we have our personal battles against sin, He has placed us in a place that He has said, no temptation will overcome you, as what, except what's common to man. I will provide a way out. He's given us the advantage. He's given us the advantage with the tactics of His Word. That we be able to read and study and figure out how to respond. I'd like to remind us again that sometimes we're overwhelmed by everything that's happening in the world that we have no control over. And yet somehow, because we don't have control of what's going on in the world, we somehow think that also gives us freedom to not have control of what's happening in our own individual lives. It's just not true. You still have the high ground. He is still your high tower. He's the one you can take refuge in. He can defend you from your own self of wanting to be selfish and fulfill all your nasty lusts. He's the one that can do it. He's positioned you in the spot where you can have victory. He's also a deliverer. And my deliverer. That's the idea of making someone escape from danger. Now there's a time to fight and a time to kind of sit back in the tower. But I would like to take this perspective of this. If he's talking about how lovely the Lord is how he's his fortress, how he's his high tower. There's all this defense going on, and he's also my deliverer. Why? Because I think there's just simple times where we open the door and let the enemy in. And then suddenly we're in a position where we need deliverance. I've said before, we had a phrase in high school football, no one beats the Falcons but the Falcons. And it was true. You understand the only ones that can have victory over us and stop us from being victorious is ourselves. 
and yet he does not grow weary in doing good. That Jesus Christ knew us in our state, he saved us, and said you will still go into battle, and you will still need rescuing, and I'm here to deliver you. One of the stories that uh, just I could cry over every time I think about it, I just admire it so much, is the lifestyle of Harriet Tubman. Born a slave, abused, got her freedom at age 29. And yet, had the courage for 10 years to make 19 trips back into danger, back into a part of the land that could kill her without any threat to legal justice, abuse, enslave, and yet 19 times she was a conductor on the Underground Railroad, put her life on the line just to save others. They say she saved over 300 slaves. I just got to tell you, I would like to know what those conversations were like when she was in Philadelphia, a free woman at last, married, saying, guess what? I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks. I'm going to go back and try to save some slaves. Why would you go back? If you get caught, it's the end of your life. Yeah. But, but you, you're one of the ones that made it. You're free. I'm going to go back. I'm not saying the Lord would think that way. I just I try to look at it from God's perspective. You would think that God could have the attitude of, you already sinned against me. I already stepped out of heaven and gave myself for you. I already gave my Holy Spirit to live within you. You decided to turn your back on me. You decided to go play in the world. And yet I will still go be your deliverer every single time. You can count on me. I will go back in after you every single time. My deliverer. It says he is my shield, and the one in whom I take refuge. If you look at this word, it has the idea of being a buckler. In other words, it's a small shield. It's one of those ones that they would wear, usually on their left arm if they were right-handed. And all it would be able to do is kind of cover your vital organs when you were in one-on-one -on -one combat. It is not the idea of a whole group of soldiers with those huge like Roman shields that we can think of sometimes. This has to do with when I do fight, when I go into battle, I have to be protected. And he's saying, Lord, you're that shield for me. 
Because when you go to lift up your sword, when you go to attack, you also open up vulnerability. And so he's saying, Lord, I'm putting my life in your hands. You're the one. You're the one that's going to protect. You're the one that when the enemy tries to strike on me, he hits you and not me. You're my shield. God is personally protecting us when we fight our battles against our enemies. There are unique battles that only you know of against your own personal sins or discouragements from Satan that you need to work out in your life, that you need to fight with the sword of the Spirit. And while you are trying to fight, know that He is your shield, that He's still protecting, that He doesn't want you to go down. You realize if you went to battle with only a sword, you can do nothing to stop the enemy's warfare. If they have a sword and you try to use your own body to block it, it cuts through your arm. I know it seems cool in some of the shows when someone shoots a bow and arrow and they get to catch it right in front of their face. In reality, none of you are good enough. But this was actually a tool to ward off the darts to ward off the arrows to throw up when the sword was coming down Jesus Christ is our shield who subdues my people under me it's interesting here is King David, he's basically saying, not only are you my protector, and you I can find protection when I go to battle, you protect me, but you'll actually make my people submit to me as, a, as king of this land. God can do that. God can make your enemies actually submit to you. You have horrible bosses that are actually over you, God can actually change them. So I thought of all these wonderful things that we could call our Savior, our loving kindness, our fortress, our high tower, our deliverer, our shield. And verse 3 shows us the attitude we should have. In the middle of the battle, he's thinking about the Lord. And his next thought is this. Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Do you think what's happening now God is shocked at or has never dealt with? I want you to think about all the things that have happened on this planet since Adam and Eve were created. And God was in the midst of all of that. The Roman empires, slavery, the dark ages, plagues. You think somehow we're extra special because it's happening now? I 
I just think it's a good place to start. When you realize how good he is to us, to say, who are we that you should even take knowledge of us? Amidst all that's going on in this world, do you still think that God owes us something because it's a hard time? That somehow God's not being fair because we have to go through some trials. When we think of Him being our loving kindness, our fortress, our high tower, our deliverer, our shield in whom we can take refuge, our next response should be, who is man that we should even take knowledge? That you should even take knowledge of us. And I have to tell you that I'm okay with being there, and yet the Bible would say, the Lord would say, oh, no, no, no. You are my special people. Oh, no, no, you are altogether beautiful to me. You are my royal priesthood. You are family. You are precious to me. Come to me with all your burdens. Come talk to me. Come eat and drink. Come spend time with me. It should be our response to say, Lord, I'm sorry. You don't even have to think of me. And his response when we have a humble attitude is, please come spend time with me. I'm right here. I want to encourage us this week to just take a moment to not take for granted the fact that God loves you, wants to hang out with you, wants to spend time with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for being our shield. Thank you for being our tower, our fortress. Thank you for being the one that is so kind to us. Lord, help us to fall in love with our Creator. That we would have normal conversations with you about who you are and how beautiful you are. Thank you so much that heaven awaits. In your name, amen.